1: to another episode of Ladies Who Launch. It is Alyssa's flying solo today. Dakota had a bit of a technical meltdown with her laptop as it seems to happen on Fridays. So it's Me coming to you uh, from my office on a Friday afternoon with a fabulous guest. Um, Today, I'm chatting with Margot Purcell, who's the CEO of Inception U, which is a private nonprofit organization addressing the skills gaps in the digital economy, which is super cool. And so as a CEO, Margot uh, works with learners, industry, government partners to develop accessible programs to help Calgarians transition into tech careers, which is super cool that we're going to talk about in two seconds. And she's also a board member of the Learning City Collective, which I'm going to make sure to ask her about um, as we chat mm-hmm. as well. So um, welcome, Margot. It's so awesome to chat Thank with you. you. And um, we literally met like five minutes ago and we were chatting before <laughs> this. And it's like, we're just all besties <laughs> now as things happen, as they go, right?
0: Well, we've already got our after work gathering all booked and ready to go. yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Anyway, welcome. I am excited to chat with you. I have known your comms person, Michelle Skirman, for um, many years since she worked at Global. So thanks to Michelle for putting us together to chat today, because I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about Inception U. So tell me about how you you created this and got into um, this sort of tech space.
0: Yeah, well, and so to to go to where I actually started, because one of the things we like to share... When people come through the doors of Inception, you whether those are virtual or in-person doors, what we like to share is that we are a we're a company and a team full of people who have done pretty significant career transition over our lifetimes, and being able to share that it is possible—that um, is my particular passion as career, and uh, and one of the things that I often share is I'm a recovering insurance broker. And when people see what I'm doing now, <laughs> and, and they, they hear that I was an insurance broker. It, there's a bit of a disconnect and I let them know I loved insurance, by the way, I loved it. I I taught other people how to do it. I was helping people pass their exam before I was even licensed. Like I loved it until I reached a point where I wasn't super fulfilled with what I was doing. And I wasn't exactly sure I'd become the trainer and educator with the company. And uh, in the Calgary office, I moved from Ontario to um, Alberta with the company. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, And uh, so I decided I'd get pregnant. That was my ticket out. I don't recommend it as a career management strategy, because it does come with a pretty lifelong commitment. Um, And I thought, well, I'll take this time to figure out where I want to go. I'd historically been someone who loved doing a whole bunch of different things, even picking a major. What do you mean I have to pick one thing? It Mm -hmm. didn't make sense. Um, Ended up, life sent me some events that made me reevaluate. Where am I? Where am I going? And uh, and then through the, the career discovery I did for myself, What I landed on was I really loved to help people figure out what are they meant to do and and how do they do it in a way that really suits them and sees them thrive. I had another company I started uh, in 2004 called Open to Possibilities. I did a lot of consulting work. I did a lot of leadership development, communication effectiveness, and eventually met one of my co-founders, Greg Hart, and we met each other through a a local and, and community initiative and had this idea, we saw saw things pretty similarly. There was a big thing missing with what was needed um, in organizations and for individuals and in our communities, which was what we... Um, You know, we found the term through another colleague of essential skills, and now I'm saying they're actually human skills. These are the things that technology will not replace. And we saw that nobody was really doing them. You know, there was talk about it. There was maybe a class or two you'd get about it in any kind of learning environment, whether that's through your company, whether that's through a formal educational environment. And we saw that no one was doing it and we saw it was absolutely needed. Um, And we didn't... uh, So we started doing some MVPs and so on. And where the real opportunity came for Inception U was the downturn in Calgary and in Alberta. When the uh, downturn hit, the kind of work I was doing with my company, Open to Possibilities, it was the first thing cut. Like, you know, team building and communicate. That's all soft skills. That's all nice to have, not need to have cut. And as the downturn went as long and as deeply as it did... What we started to hear was people saying, if we don't do something different, this place is going to die. And just waiting for it to bounce back was being seen and recognized that that's not going to work here. And so that was our opportunity. That was our window. We said, it's prime right now. And and we decided to go in and and go for it. And we had positioned Inception U as uh, an opportunity for people to equip themselves to be future fit. And so when we say future fit, we use that specifically rather than future proof. Future proof says you're guarding yourself against the future, you're protecting yourself against. So that takes energy that, by the way, is wasted because you cannot protect yourself from the future, nor nor should you. What you need to do is become fit to respond to rapidly evolving conditions now and into the future. So we saw that there was an opportunity for that. We had this collection of things that we'd all done individually in our own practices. And we said, well, let's put them together. And we went around and we we shared with other learning organizations, other um, development organizations and so on. And what we heard was, yeah, that's needed. Yeah, great idea. And eventually what we heard is, and oh, we're never going to do it. If you want to see it, you have to build it. We said, okay. And that's how Inception came to be. We know humans often need to see something to believe you can talk about it, and if it's theoretical and conceptual, we are very drawn to what we know, and so, and what and when we see something, then we can know it. So, we built Inception U so that people could see that there was another way of learning and another way of being in the world that they could discover within themselves and then put out in the world. That's how Inception U came to be. We started in 20 about a year of MVPs uh, starting in 2017, where rubber really hit the road was with the intense need in Calgary for um, d- software developers. Right, Like many other centers, constantly not obtaining the talent and the talent was getting taken to other places and other locations. And we also saw that there wasn't, uh, at the time, there was little if to nothing available that was accelerated learning, like shorter form programs. And so people who wanted to be able to transition into tech and innovation, who didn't have one, two, three, four years to stop, get educated, go back, um, did, had little option here. And what we proposed through some meetings uh, that my co-founder had with Folks at Rainforest Alberta and said, you know, there, there was this talk about we should do an accelerated or a boot camp, is what they were referring to them at the time. And what he proposed is what if we built a different kind of software developer here? What if we helped people bring amazing thinking, amazing depth to understanding the problem before they start building the solution? What if we did that? And that's where the opportunity came about where we said, okay, we'll do a full stack developer program where all of these human skills are completely interwoven with the technical skills. So they're learning how to apply them in that field while they're building that capability. Uh, and we are now in currently in cohort 11. So that first cohort started September 2018. Uh, 11 people took a program oh. by that had never been run before by people they'd never heard of. And we're now into cohort 11. And we've launched a second program as well, which is Tech Adjacent, um, that's taking all the learning we've done over those five years and now starting to say, okay, so what other technical or domain-specific capabilities are needed? And can we provide opportunities for people to equip themselves with?
1: Wow. So are these, are the types of programs, are they for people who are currently working? So are they online or there's flexibility with their completion?
0: That's where we're heading now. So okay. up until um, up until currently right now, our programs have been uh, in-person, full-time. Um, there's been uh, opportunities that we've uh, been able to generate where people who are unemployed or perhaps underemployed can have their program fees paid. So a lot of the people who have been through our program have been people who are in transition by choice or often not. Uh, and it was created, especially, again, the downturn. How do we take all these highly capable, highly competent people and provide an opportunity for them to equip themselves to transition into an industry that's that needs the talent and is growing? Um, and so that's where that's what it's been up until now. Now, what's changing is uh, for our second cohort of our Tech Adjacent program, we are going part-time and virtual. So that people, um, and it is tailored, the grant we received for that is tailored towards people who are unemployed and underemployed. Um, And we are now shaping the learning experiences to be online, active, engaging, um, and to be quite immersive and highly connected even with people being remote and and distributed. And so that's going to start happening with the launch of Cohort 2 in February is taking it and shaping it so people can be working um, so that they can meet their needs while they're equipping themselves to be able to transition to something else.
1: Wow. So what is the... So launching with a downturn, I mean, obviously anybody in mm-hmm. Calgary knows what that was like and getting yeah. through that piece, but what are... Who are the people that you're seeing now coming through the program? Like, is it a is it a, a mid career people or is it later career people looking to just change their career completely? What is sort of the makeup of of the cohorts?
0: I would say the majority remain people who are mid career in some way. Uh, that's a that's a combination of two things. One is um, some of the funding mechanisms that are available for people in transition. Uh, and and the nature of how they've ended up becoming unemployed or underemployed. Um and the other one is that tends to be what I've what we've seen is that people are asking themselves those kinds of questions at that age and stage of their career. That being said, so that would be a majority of the people I would say have probably around at least five, if not 10 to 15, 20 years of experience and are looking um, for what might be next for them and taking that opportunity of a perhaps forced pause in their career to really do some things differently. And we've had people from 19 years old to 65, same cohort. We are also seeing a really broad range of, um, people identify as female, uh, uh, people who are newcomers, immigrants, um, Uh, otherwise underrepresented groups in tech and innovation, youth, um, people who are maybe a little later career and are saying, okay, now what? And, And going into tech and innovation allows them to bring all of that experience as this value add to adding on these technical skills. And it's that diversity of backgrounds, industries, perspectives, levels of experience, kinds of experience, types of education, that diversity is actually what generates even deeper learning. It's also what we're seeing is for the, the the software developer program, which is the one we have the most experience in, it produces better tech. Right. Because they're exposed to different perspectives. And so you'll hear someone in the, the team projects, they'll say, you know what, in the restaurant industry, we would do da-da-da-da. And someone else would say, you know what, in the pipeline industry, we would do da-da-da. And now they take those experiences, they combine them together, and they create a new approach that wouldn't exist if those people with those diverse experiences hadn't come together. It's pretty fascinating and and sometimes pretty magical a lot to watch happen.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think mm-hmm. as society now, I think everybody is sort of hitting that point of like, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my mm-hmm. life? Or you sort of hit that. Mm-hmm. But I know in talking to co- friends and colleagues of mine that everyone understands. The. The drive towards tech, and I know in Calgary specifically, they're investing a lot of money into like, I mean, platform as a tech incubator and um, tech education, trying to lure tech companies into into the city. But there's still a bit of a intimidation factor, like Mm -hmm. even for myself, who's a who 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 works for myself and has to sort of advise clients on very basic um, tech related things, I sit here and think, well, oh, geez, I even, I should learn more, but I'm intimidated by it. And so mm-hmm. the fact that there's Inception U and that its purpose is for people as sort of a, a, a continual learning process, I think that helps take some of that intimidating wall away. Yeah.
0: Well, a, a great points. Cause that is that's what we we see people encounter as well. And one of the things we often see people encounter is they hear tech and they think software developer and they can't see themselves in it. I, by the way, have done software develop Well, not software development. Let me put a caveat. Years and years and years ago, back in the days when we used to ask people, do you have email? Okay. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, my older brother, who is a computer guru, uh, he said, hey, why don't we start this web development company? And he said, "You'll be the developer." I was at home full time with our, our um, with our older son, and and he's like, "You can do it between naps." He was a great sleeper, so I really could. And uh, and so I did some of that. And you know what? I despised it. I can do details. Find detail drives me batty. And over time I actually make a ton of mistakes and I wanted to poke my eye out with a pencil what do you why isn't this page showing up when my brother would look uh ah, you know line 76 you missed a backslash or a front slash or whatever and I'm like really like, you actually actually coding. nothing shows up like I was actually html html he yeah. Me, yeah he wouldn't let me use uh dreamweaver at the time he's like no that's cheating he he, he mailed me his oh. HTML textbook from the Eastern University of Waterloo. And I said, and what am I supposed to do that? He's like, read it. Oh, so it, it is intimidating. And if you think that's the only pathway in and it's going to be nothing but misery, you can't see a place for yourself in tech and innovation. No. And that's actually one of the reasons we did start the Tech Adjacent Program. There are so many pathways in. There's a certain level of digital competence that we all really do need to have. And that many of us have a lot more than we even realize because we carry computers in our pockets, right? Like we have more than we realize. And so it's partly dispelling that myth that you have to be a software developer. You have to be able to code to be in that digital sector, not at all, just like any other company. And in in Calgary, I like to point out, hey, uh, do the energy companies only have petroleum engineers? Right. because if they did they wouldn't have gotten far as a company no they yeah. also need all these other things that go around it and through it and so on and what's the level of digital understanding you need to be competent in there while you're bringing stuff that the uh, that the tech team doesn't have and maybe it's not only going into a tech company because every company will be a tech company to some degree we are all digitizing So what's that level of competence that you need to have to feel, to be confident in your capability of being now and into the future? And that's what we work to help people equip themselves with that. It's not about us being the smarty pants at the front of the room and telling you, here's everything you need to know. Our role is to create the conditions for you to go as far and as deep as you can with your learning, for you to identify what is great fit for me, and then add those those skills and competencies to what you already have and wish, Michelle laughs at me so our shared friend Michelle um laughs when I I get on my one of my many soap boxes and one of my big ones right now is I would like to eliminate the terms reskilling and upskilling. Oh, yeah, reskilling those... says or like upskilling says your skills aren't good enough. Yeah. Reskilling says your skills are no good you are additionally skilling yourself. If you are a breathing human being who has made it through to adulthood, you have mad skills. You are going to be adding to what you've already got so that we can also help alleviate that anxiety of I'm starting all over again. No, you're not. And then that next layer is and how do we talk to industry and employers and say, and have them also recognize maybe this packet of skills are newer to them. They are not new. They, you are going to benefit from all the other lived and learned experience they have, they're also bringing with them. It's in the shape of that human being.
1: Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think in this, where we are is in, in our world and all of that, I don't, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of. Continual learning. I don't think any of us know everything, nor do should we think we know everything. And and as yeah. everybody's career progresses, you have to gain skills elsewhere. I mean, remember yeah. when we entered the workforce and we were still faxing things, like, oh um, and then we all had to learn how to use emails and stuff in in workplaces and how to use the internet and yeah. all that. And now, like millennials and Gen Z that are coming to the workforce know all that, but they're maybe lacking the the soft skills, the people skills, how you actually work with people, all those sorts of things. But yet, um, I'm, I'm liking seeing, I mean, which is terrible grammar, but the fact that the older, those Gen Xers and older millennials that are continuing to learn, we are the ones that are sort of pushing, um, the corporate landscape now in terms of Mm. what, is expected or what how how the corporate world views people changing or adapting or shifting their careers mid-career I don't I don't think anyone now is looking at anyone who is at management or director level corporate and is thinking like that's where you should just stay like whereas 30 years ago that would have been like oh my god you made it to a director level like that's whereas now it's like no this isn't this isn't the end of your career because you've made it to a VP or whatever. You have to continue to adapt to do more or different things and bring different things to the table. And um, the just the, the the landscape of work now, quote unquote work, is so much different that I think no one, the positive views of people continuing to adapt and re-up their skills or whatever word that you use there were so great. Is really it that's the norm, or at least it should yeah. be in my view. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and how do we provide opportunities for people to do that rather than yeah, oh, you know, change is the new normal. Okay, you're basically saying suck it up, buttercup. How are they going to do it? Like yeah. we providing those pathways without it being prescriptive, you know, and not being fixed and rigid that this is the one way. There is no single way that works for everyone it's so about creating that environment where they can find and create through some guidance their own way of really succeeding and and in uh, in listening to some of your other um, podcasts as well and, and something you just said a uh, a couple of minutes ago about what what is that world of work looking like and and mm-hmm. that we're redefining it yeah and we need to redefine success you know this whole thing about and i was listening i think it was it might have been Nancy Wilson with the Mm. Chamber of Women's Chamber of Commerce. It might have been um, your your friend, Kim, uh, this hustle thing. Uh Okay, well, I think we've got loads and loads of evidence that that's garbage. Garbage. And this is where I see that particularly women entrepreneurs are saying no, Mm
1: -hmm. no.
0: And, And we can build companies where people have a life we can build companies where maybe the profit is not the only mode, but by the way, we're wickedly profitable Yeah, that doesn't take everything from somebody. That's not going to be sustainable. We're redefining what success looks like because if we look to at a societal uh, and species level, I mean, we can go that far. We've got loads of evidence to tell us that what we have defined as success whether it's career, whether it's corporate, whether whatever it might be, what we've defined as success for a company and industry is often counter to the conditions for life. We can't keep doing it. There won't be anything. By the way, Mother Nature is going to make it. Humans are optional. So if we want to be able to do, we have to redefine what success is. And it cannot be about continuous growth in our bodies, continuous growth is cancer. Like it's not healthy. And and there are other things that are possible. And I see that that's also whether it's a generational thing, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's women entrepreneurs, uh, women identifying, entre- whatever it might be, that is what I'm seeing is happening right now, and is a key role for us to do. So that the generations that come after us, which we need to do, do this change for there to be generations to come after us. They need us to have done that. Yes. You know, if we look at legacy and purpose, that to me is a pretty meaningful purpose. And if that's what I spend the rest of my life doing, then that's what I will be doing is creating those conditions for us to even change what success looks like so that we can continue to thrive.
1: Oh, like all of the high fives <laughs> over here. And I mean, this is why, I mean, this is why we started this podcast is to talk about is to talk to other amazing women entrepreneurs, because I think we as entrepreneurs and women in particular, we get too into our own heads. And when you're working by yourself mm-hmm. all day and you start like questioning everything and is this right? Mm-hmm. And, and what am I doing here? And why do they seem more successful than me? And we always have, I mean... Imposter syndrome exists no matter what. But these Mm -hmm. conversations and what we are trying to create and what you're trying to create is like is is breaking down all those walls of feeling that we aren't doing enough or we aren't doing more or whatever. And that the the change is the point, in my view. Like how I choose to run my business is much different than how somebody 20 years ago would have chosen to do this. Um, and it's different than other colleagues of mine who choose to run. And then that's, I think, what the, the point is, is that if everyone's doing it the same way, then what are we doing?
0: Well, and, and even, exactly. And even when we look at and talking about manager director, right? So mm-hmm. if, if we look at traditional success metrics on a career level, it's getting one of those positions, right? Yeah. Except there are less, as you, as we continue up the chain, there are less and less of those roles moving up. Yeah. We've consistently only seemed to reward career progression. And what does it look like to reward career mastery? What does that look like? And what are those metrics that we can be taking and, and working with and acknowledging and recognizing? Um, so that we can, again, redefine what that looks like for success. And, and I look at, I've been asked a few times, you know, what what led you to where you are and so on? Well, I am a rule follower. And I was laughing when I was listening to yours and Kim's conversations. Yeah, we did what we were supposed to do. Yeah. I'm a rule follower with a rebellious streak, though. Mm-hmm. I will do what I'm supposed to do. I will do what I'm, to- you know, or I have. Yes. I have. I'd I'd like to say, I think that the rebellious has taken hold um, much more. Um, And I know something else is possible. So I'll do what I'm supposed to do and what's been laid. And then I go, yeah, no, that's never going to create, that's never going to generate what I know is possible. And then I bust it. I don't bust it for the sake of busting it. Like this whole disruptor thing. Okay. Did you think of the implications of just disrupting? Did you think of that? And all the carnage that we're seeing. And and I can point to many large companies to Mm -hmm. show how that disruption without thought for the system effects has Mm -hmm. been disastrous. So let's be thoughtful. Let's actually really look at what's the purpose of what we're trying to do and and, and how we're going to do it. Let's do it meaningfully, not mechanically. And let's take into account the effects because it's all interconnected, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. And there, my co-founder talks a lot about this. There are no unintended consequences. There are just consequences. Yeah. So we need to... And there are no unintended effects. There are simply effects. So we need to build those capabilities for us to then take meaningful, wise action in the things we're building or we're just going to cause more problems. And so that... There's no one moment I can point to that led me on this. It's a series of moments. I've had some significant moments, though, um, that I can point to. And one was 2018. uh, And it was funny because Nancy talked about that's when the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce started. Well, it was January 2018 that I made a firm and a very conscious decision that if it scares me and it's not life-threatening, I say yes. Because there's something for me to learn. And it might be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, as long as it's not life-threatening, doesn't mean it's unsafe. Um, The other, another significant moment, or I guess accumulation of an experience I had, um, I got to go and be an expert in residence in uh, 2019 at the African Leadership University. And I was watching all these young people who have had incredibly amazing, sometimes unbelievably challenging journeys to get to where they were. And when they had graduated, were probably going back to some incredibly challenging journeys and they were committed to doing hard things and changing the way things are for themselves and others around them. And I watched that and I thought, you know, who am I serving? in doing things incrementally in, 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 and, and staying that imposter syndrome, who am I, um, what am I doing in, in allowing the imposter imposter syndrome to live me. And I came back and I declared to all the women who, especially who were in the program at the time. And I said, I'm not staying small anymore. Full stop.
1: Wow. I love that. And not those two small. things
0: combined. Yeah. Who are we serving and doing that? Yeah, and, and in those two things combined, I, I saw changes in my business. I saw changes in my life. I seen changes in me, and uh, and in my and in, in my my family. Um, and, and if that's what I serve, is to be. That role model in those ways to people that I care about, fantastic. It doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. It, in in fact, I make even more than I ever used to. But they're not failures. I, I share with people and, and I acknowledge them. I'm like, hey, I'm never going to learn anything. I don't use the word never, always, must, often, and I will use it here. I'm never going to learn anything if I can't be vulnerable enough to recognize I have a lot to learn, which also means being vulnerable enough to acknowledge when I've made a mistake. And as long as I learned from it, it wasn't a failure.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm in the same boat. I don't I, I don't view anything as a failure. I mean, I, I think mm. that's something we that's an old school thing that we grew up with that yeah. you failed at school or you did this, and but we all have to do that. And everything mm. that happens, like we make a gazillion decisions in a day. And maybe one or two of those decisions might've been incorrect. And we will focus on those two incorrect decisions as opposed to the gazillion correct ones we made in the day. And it's just, it takes up so much mental capacity to focus on those failures, quote unquote, or decisions that we beat ourselves up over. And as opposed to looking at all of those things, like the the gazillion decisions you made and realize that all of them were successful in their own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea of of saying yes. And I think um, a few other of our guests have brought this up in that um, the, our, all, our, our first inclination, and I'm terrible for this because I'm, I don't know you don't look like you work at home anymore, but like those of us that work at home, yeah. it makes, yeah. makes like, especially post COVID it makes you have to have like something really good for me to like, want to leave like a great event or whatever. Cause it's just so much work. So my inclination <laughs> yeah. always is to say no first. Cause I'm like, Oh God, I have to put on pants or something. Um, but getting out of that mentality of like, in, yeah. the first inclination is to say yes. And then as opposed to no, and I yeah. am terrible for that. And it's something I have to continually work on is to say yes to things that would, that scare me, uh, say yes to things that maybe I think seem not silly, but, oh, this is going to take me away from my actual work, like to go do this. Yeah, But yeah. those things usually end up being three times as great as I initially thought, but yeah, I am terrible for thinking no first all the time. And so I, I love that you brought that up as saying is, is making the distinct directive to yourself to say yes to things like, unless it's going to kill you.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as women, I will add as well, um, to not go so far the other way either. Mm-hmm. Right. That yeah, don't you say don't yes. know how to say no, no. Right. That's not that's not what I'm talking about and saying if it scares me, uh, I say, yes. It, it's not that I never say no, because, again, that, that's just doing yeah. another version of hustle. It's just doing whatever, mm-hmm. uh, where it gives so much of myself, there's nothing left for me, um, which means then I can't do anything for anyone else either. A- and being really, really selective um, about what is the most purposeful, meaningful action I can take and then saying yes to those things. Yes, so that I am continuing to move things forward, uh, and because you know what, I'm not, I'm not great at everything. Who that? Nobody is. No one is. So saying yes to things that someone else would actually probably be better suited to do, I actually denied them a chance to shine. For what? So that I can show I'm good at everything? But I'm not. Yeah. So stop it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. It's a, it's a whole therapy session that we're having right yeah. now but <laughs> exactly. um as we sort of get get into this i i want to make sure i ask about this learning city collective yeah. <laughs> what oh yeah what is that it sounds amazing so
0: it's pretty neat it, it's a uh, it's an initiative that started several years ago and they were doing some research on all of the different you know what would it be for what would it be for calgary to be a learning city what do we really need for us to be successful now and into the future and looking at those adaptive skills. And so a lot of what we talk about in Inception being essential skills, human skills are also adaptive skills and adaptive capacities. And then they were looking at and did a, it was a, a combination of a bunch of research where they looked at all the different learning organizations in the city, informal and formal, and shifting us out of the learning ladder. So you and I, and most people will have been on the learning ladder right. and, and for volumes of people in mass education, we absolutely need to. And if we think of where education started it was about reducing and hopefully eliminating mass illiteracy, which has been done. Um, and, uh, and it does mean illiteracy is gone. It, mass illiteracy is. Okay, well, it served it very well for that. And so you went in at kindergarten, and you went through it, and it, you're told, and the path is laid out for you, climb this ladder up to to 12, and then if post-secondary, and you climb that ladder, except that doesn't equip us for what we actually need now, which is that ability to learn how to learn, that ability to figure it out for yourself. Because things are changing too rapidly for it to be a formal thing where someone tells you what you need to know, and only after you've been told what you need to know and you pass the test that shows that you know what you need to know, then can you do it. We actually need something very different. So, the Learning City Collective is about really um, looking at a learning climbing wall. You know, that we can, through a collective, Uh, And collaborative effort become a learning city where informal and formal learning opportunities and learning organizations and experiences count, where you can create your own learning rather than it being pre laid out for you. So Perhaps your learning was, yeah, you took a, you took a course through an organization. Oh, and then you volunteered at Folkfest and you learned how to do project management or volunteer management because that's what your role was. And then you went, you did a project over here through your work and, and it's that collective experience and learning that you did, and how can you demonstrate what that is. And so the Learning City Collective, the aim is also to do the research and the action in behind that's required for this collaborative endeavor across all of these organizations, including employer community and so on. And then looking at what does it look like to have a way to demonstrate that that is not about a specific learning institution and body giving you a a certified demonstration of competence. Um, And so what does that look like? And having perhaps, and Dr. David Finch from um, Mount Royal University is one of the key people in behind it. And he talks about, we already have an example of this in the world of where there's all these different learning organizations that do all the learning opportunities and there's a separate body that said says yes here's the certificate that says that you're capable. We all have for those of us who have drivers licenses, right? So the body that says yes, you are capable is not the one getting paid to do the learning and the instruction. They're completely separate. So, what would it look like for us to have something like that on a full scale learning? You know, for any of the learning that we all do, because there's not a single pathway that works for everyone. Right. And so, if I took a course here and I and then I engaged over there, and I that collectively, I then can demonstrate that I've got what you're looking for, um, whether that's an employment, whether that's as a client.
1: Yeah, I love that. I, I just think the this archaic notion that you you have to have a piece of paper you have to in order Mm -hmm. to it's that old adage of like how do you get it how do you get experience if you don't get hired and how do you get it hired right it's this hamster wheel of crazy but I love the idea of especially for marginalized communities and um, Mm -hmm. new Canadians and that where they are involved in their community on a daily basis doing yeah. like they are they that's how they um they create their 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 own community right that those things are recognized as legitimate competencies like like yeah. women who are or, or or not just women but like people who are putting together like mass potlucks for their community of of 400 people and they're cooking for all these people and
0: yeah. all. That.
1: that's a huge undertaking and that matters huge. in some respect right like that if you're yep. going to get a try to get employment as a as a bank teller or something like to get in the door it's like i organize like 80 kids at after school care for my Mm -hmm. community like especially in the way it's set up here where those that that are coming into canada um their educations or their skill sets are not necessarily recognized by our nope whatever's overlords. So we have these amazingly educated, brilliant people who are driving taxis and I mean all of that yep. is valuable. But yet how can we help them utilize the skills, not not just the skills and the education they've acquired in their home countries, but the things that they're doing here that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily educated papers, but they should factor in the
0: same way. They one. count. Yes. They absolutely do. And that's one of the outcomes that I get really excited about the potential for the Learning City Collective and, and shifting towards something like this, is it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter whether it's an industry, a country, a city, whatever. You, you have no network, no relationships, no anything. It doesn't matter. You can demonstrate yeah. that you've got what they're looking for. And that way, if there is some transitional learning that needs to happen for someone to learn a different context, Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually quite easy. We continually put all these barriers in everybody's way. And then, and then often our are, if your past gets recognized, well, that's defining your future. Mm-hmm. Well, then I, I would be still in the insurance industry, you know, which would, that wouldn't have been a bad career. It wasn't the career for me. Yeah. You know, And, and, and that if you're, if you're coming from somewhere else, often that past isn't even recognized. It's like you're, it's like you just started again. And, and I think we, we need talent to be recognized so much more than that because the need is great. The jobs are unfilled and it can't always be about years of experience. I have seen posting for an entry level position, entry level that requires three to five years experience.
1: It's ridiculous.
0: So what are we going to start neonatal job postings? Like what is this? Right. It makes no sense and, and we can't we've got to get out of this cycle of well there's not the talent uh, and and then the you know the talent isn't here and the talent saying and I can't get seen and so nobody's getting their needs met. Well that is the definition of insanity is continuing to try and do the same thing over and over and expecting something different and and so we have to make some meaningful changes that are very thoughtful and thought filled, and that we are taking the whole system into account so we are thinking of the effects and not just blowing something up because something will grow back yeah and it may not be what we want right so we really have to be equipping ourselves with the ability to do this and then the relationships and connections across an organization across an industry across our community that we can actually have the people involved that need to be involved for this to happen
1: yeah, it's so true. And I i mean, it's sort of been a struggle that I've seen um, even just through the pandemic. And I i think I've ranted about it on this podcast before about um, how much the workforce changed through COVID, right? And this, everyone worked from home and realized that, yeah, you can do all this from home and blah, blah, blah. But as soon as that, as soon as everything started to sort of open up and people were able to come back to an office or whatever... Companies reverted immediately back to that old style of work. And it's like, yeah. I need to see you, blah, blah, blah. And how many job postings I saw as is, is someone who's who a consultant and is like, all of these jobs can be done A, at home, or B, not by a staff. Yeah. Like you can hire external people to manage these things. Like they are not, you are making them full-time jobs, but they're really not. But it was this immediate sort of, pull back to like, oh, what we know, because everyone yep. had gone through this massive shift and, and, and employees were like, this is awesome. I can do work from home. Like it's clear I can do this. And then suddenly all these companies are like, no, you need to come back. You need to come back. And people are just like, no. So for all the sort of three steps ahead, we take, there's always like two mm-hmm. steps back that we end up reverting to. And, um, I was anticipating a sort of continued massive employment shift or how people were doing work. But we know that we see this as people outside of it, or as people who lived in it. But it's getting the actual people here, like in charge, like the um, CEO or whatever, to understand the shifting expectations and the shifting market of what people see as work and how they want to do their work and the all of that it seems yeah. like there's, there's a huge still dichotomy of what yeah. employees want versus what the corporation wants and i yeah and it's just becoming m- more antagonistic i think than it needs to be
0: well, and it's such a complex challenge and i and i get it and, and again one, real estate bankers, you need
1: to like justify yeah. your real estate sure
0: And one of the factors I see is that play in some of that as well. And one of many factors is that fundamental lack of trust and relationship we have. I need to see you to believe you're doing the work. Yeah. Um, And so what is it to trust first? And only if that trust gets negatively affected to then take that as a data point to perhaps make a different choice. One of the companies that i i do work with um i work with their product is lumina learning and they recently did a pretty significant study on this and and i remember at the beginning of the pandemic when people like ah downtown's dead where everybody's gonna sell and nobody's ever gonna work on i said garbage people like me no no do not make me work at home all day every day i know that's the thing right i need people yeah and i don't i like it if I don't have to haul downtown every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what they did find um, is what we were kind of predicting, my my colleagues and I early on, you're going to have a group of people that only want to be back in the office. Ob- like, please let me go yep. back full time. You're going to have a group of people who never want to go out of their house. They want to work from home remotely for them. That's it. And you're going to have a big chunk in the middle nope. who want the flexibility of both. Yep. And that's exactly what their research found. I think it was about 12% wanted to be full-time in the office, about yeah. 11% wanted to be full-time at home. And everyone else wanted some degree, mm-hmm. whether it was some time working remotely, whether it was a lot of time working remotely, everyone else wanted a degree of a combination yeah. of both. That's a challenge for companies to figure out. Yes. And we need to figure it out.
1: Yeah, we do we do and, and that's
0: part of oh go ahead no you go ahead well and that's part of where that tech adjacent program comes in too right is that we were forced to have to figure out online and how to do it and we it was not pretty at first it really wasn't it took some time we were forced like many other learning organizations and companies to figure out how to do this virtually and so when we started looking at Uh, Not only different pathways into tech and innovation that don't involve becoming a software developer for the swabs of people who have no interest in being one um, and creating more pathways that have less barriers to entry um, into tech and innovation. We also looked at if you can work from anywhere, you should be able to learn from anywhere. Why do you have to leave your community, your support system and everything else to go to often a bigger center? in order to do the learning and then go back and restart your life? No, we need to be able to do this well. And then how do we do it in a way that people can still have a livelihood while they add these skills on to be able to go into some other areas and become more future fit? And so that's where Tech Adjacent came in with another innovation that what we wanted to do, and this is Margot, another soapbox. I have so many, I'm so sorry. Um, That rather than you do that discovery and that career discovery through the learning. Like you take the program and you only find out once you're in there if it's right or not. I've watched people internalize that. Right. There's such a human toll to that because they get in and it's simply career mismatch. It's simply poor fit, except they're having less success or it's at a very high cost to them to get success. I watch that it gets internalized and that the confidence goes down and they think it's something wrong with them. Rather, what we proposed um, is that they come in and they do deep self-discovery and intense building of these absolutely essential and human skills first. And only after they've done that, and they can articulate, this is what rewarding and fulfilling work looks like for me. Only after that, do they pick their technical stream. And so the streams that they get to pick uh, this time. And we've got lean sales, growth marketing, coding support, and full-stack design. And in cohort two, we're going growth marketing, customer success, and full-stack design with a UX focus. So you get into it. And by the way, they get all these tasters firsthand because it's all theoretical otherwise. So experience, what would it be like being in that field? So they get to have these little tasters of what would my day-to-day kind of, what kinds of things will I be doing and engaging in and and make your choice after that. Like help people make an informed choice based on self-knowledge and then experiential knowledge of what this looks like. And we're super excited that that gets to go across Alberta. And that it starts becoming more and more accessible um, to people, and and again, we're talking about immigrants and newcomers and so on. And it is one of these it's one of these programs that has it, it, it has high accessibility Thanks. for people who are newer to the, to uh, Calgary and newer to Alberta and to Canada. And so we're super excited that it's expanding across the the province. Across, ooh, maybe that was a Freudian slip. Yeah, Freudian the slip there. Yeah. Um, uh, that uh, it's expanding across the province in early 2024. We're super, and the application's open for it very, very soon. We're super excited about that.
1: Well, that is awesome. That's actually a good place to sort of end this because um, okay. I will tell people that all of this information, including how to register for these courses and all of Margo's information and Inception News info will be in our show notes. Um, so um, go find out how to register if you're looking for career change or you know anyone who needs... Or is interested in getting into the tech space or tech adjacent, um, space, because, uh, I think that's really cool. Um, but as we wrap this up, cause I, like, I've yeah. taken up so much of your time and I'm so sorry that like, <laughs> just that I love talking to amazing women. So I've like taken up so much of your afternoon, but uh, clearly we...
0: I'm not at a loss of words either. <laughs> so, you know,
1: <laughs> as we, as we wrap up, I, we always like to ask the two questions to our guests, um, just to get a sense of, um, who they are as people one is Mm. what are you reading right
0: now i have a stack of books and i I have now given myself permission to have several on the go at the same time and so the ones i'm reading right now um are how how big things get done okay uh i'm reading range which is what the subtitle why generalists triumph in a specialized world Mm. and i have just finished the patterning instinct which is about the human tendency it's in our instinct and our our wiring for us to seek patterns. um so those are the three oh, that i have had on well
1: mm-hmm. um i will put the links to these books in the show notes as well so people can check them out. i think i have the audio book of range i haven't listened to it yet but i know i have that in my Google. audio Listing, but the other two I haven't heard of, so that's awesome. Um, okay. And then the last question I'm going to ask you is: what, what or who is inspiring you right now?
0: I am inspired by people who are builders and who are doing what they say. And right now, I have I'm particularly inspired by two female entrepreneurs um, that are local that have built purpose built and mission-driven companies and are knocking it out of the park. And so that's Amanda Hall, who's the founder and CEO of Summit Nanotech. Mm. Um, and so it's clean energy uh, and and being able to extract lithium in an environmentally uh, um Sustainable way, and Bobby Reset, oh, uh, founder Bobby, yes. and CEO of, of Virtual Gurus. What I see about how they're doing it—they've built companies people want to be in. Mm-hmm. They've built companies that attract people who are as driven by their mission as they are, and they are showing people that you can do it and be profitable. That it's not or thinking. They do everything with and thinking, and I'm so inspired by them. Uh, and on top of that, Bobby, this summer went uh, on her on LinkedIn and sharing, and by the way, do it and take care of yourself and you can. And really looking after herself and taking time off. And, and one of these people who is going, who is busting, not is going to bust, is busting that hustle culture um, for us to see and, and make it that, again, more people can go on this entrepreneurial journey because it doesn't have to be at the complete sacrifice in yourself and those around you who matter to you.
1: Oh, so brilliant. Thank you. Um, I appreciate your time today. As I said, I did take up a lot of it, but I <laughs> think um, you're just amazing. And it's amazing when- Thank you. I always feel so great when I meet people and I immediately am like, you're my people. And I have never been <laughs> in person, but it's just like within five minutes, I was like, oh yeah, Mark was my people. Totally. <laughs> and- <laughs> So, um, I'm so glad that you, um, shared your time with, uh, me this afternoon and I'm sure all our listeners, were are going to get tons of uh, great responses to this. And, uh, as to everyone listening, um, catch us on the next episode of ladies who launch. Thank you for listening to ladies who launch join Dakota and Alyssa every second Wednesday for more conversations and interesting guests. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. If you send us a question, we may answer it on a future episode.